This presentation is from UX Australia 2016, held in Melbourne. For more presentations from this and other conferences, please visit uxaustralia.com.au. A super detailed talk about a single button. I'm not quite sure how he's going to sustain this, but uh, Neither am I. I think he's up for the challenge. Thanks. Sure. Thanks, Donna. Um, does anyone recognise this video? This is yes, Space, yes. Madness. Space Madness. Exactly. Yes. This is Ren and Stimpy, and this is um, the episode where uh, Stimpy is in charge of guarding the button that will erase all of history. Um, but he can't resist, and he presses it anyway, you know, and everything disappears. I kind of imagine it's a bit like um, voting for Donald Trump or something. Um, anyways, uh, so hello. Yes, my name's Ollie Campbell, and um, I'm here on behalf of Navy Design. We're a design consultancy. Um, here in Melbourne, just down the road, Flinders Lane. And why on earth am I here talking to you for 45 minutes about a single button, you may ask? Well, um, the reason I thought it might be interesting is because uh, sometimes I think that, you know, this industry doesn't sort of value the hands-on craft of designing interfaces um, as, much, as much as it should. So um, to explain what I mean by that, if you look at a kind of typical UX design career, if there is such a thing, um, you know, you might sort of start as a junior UX designer, designing not very important things, and then if you do a good job, you kind of move in this direction, designing increasingly more and more important things, um, getting promotions along the way, and eventually, you know, you kind of might end up in some kind of team lead, director, architect kind of role. So the, the status and the money kind of increase as you move in this direction. Um, and what I think is interesting about that is you kind of overlay the, the thing you're mostly doing at each of those stages, um, you know, in the beginning, it's kind of all about hands-on design work. Um, but later on, it sort of becomes about management strategy, that sort of stuff. Um, and the interesting thing about that, I think, is if you kind of overlay those stages of your career um, over the, the, you know, the course of your life, if you start working in, in your 20s sometime and you retire by the time you're 70, and we'll probably all be at least 70 by the time we retire, unfortunately. Um, but you, you can kind of end up in a management role, you know, sometime in your 30s, um, and more or less never design anything ever again. Um, that can happen, you know, and that's what happened to me. Um, you know, I was kind of in my 30s, and I was managing a team of UX people at a big agency, and uh, that was cool, you know, but, but I wasn't designing anything anymore, and, and to me that kind of felt like um, I wasn't getting any better at design anymore with, you know, like 35 years to go in my career. Um, so if you kind of compare that to a bunch of other design professions, like architecture, for example, um, this is Frank Gehry. He's one of the world's most famous architects. And here he is at the age of 87, you know, cutting up bits of cardboard and sticking them together and, you know, very much like hands-on designing things um, right, right to the end of his career. And this is, you know, when he, when he designed this, this is his most famous, probably his most famous building, the Guggenheim in Bilbao. Uh, he was in his mid-60s, and, um, yeah, I mean, this is just a very different view of a design career, I think, you know. Like, he, he didn't peak at 35. He's kind of still peaking at 87, you know. Graphic design's the same. Paul Rand, you know, he, um, uh, he designed the iconic IBM logo, you know, at the age of 58. I could go on, you know. But um, uh, basically, you know, what I'm trying to do with my career at the moment um, is, is kind of extend this period, you know, where I'm actually hands-on. Um, designing things, and you know, I kind of much prefer the idea that I have all these decades to get better, and then I'll be doing my best work in my 60s sometime, and then maybe relaxing at the end there. Um, so, um, 
why, why, why is, you know, I mean, the question is why is the kind of craft of design seen as a kind of relatively lower status activity um, than some other things? I think there's kind of this misconception in the industry sometimes that, um, you know, great design is kind of all about someone having a big idea and then, you know, communicating it to the team, setting the direction for some product or something, and, and then the rest just kind of fills itself in. But um, actually, I think it's kind of the opposite. I think, you know, mostly great design um, isn't about a, a big idea. It's kind of about a thousand little ideas. This is a quote from another architect. This is Mies. Um, uh, yeah, I really like this quote because, you know, I sort of think that design is mostly, good design is mostly about the craft. You know, it's about the hands-on stuff. That's where the magic happens. And um, because of that, you know, I think there's a huge amount that can be learned from the details of a piece of design. Um, so to give you a quick example, this is Facebook. You may have used it. And um, Facebook added uh, this stuff recently, the reactions, the um, five new types of reactions to posts to go with the like button. So now you have like, love, ha-ha, wow, sad, and angry. Those are your options, which cover the entirety of human emotion, obviously. Um, <laughs> but if you look at these in the context of, of the whole page, you know, it's, it's a really little teeny thing. You know, it's a tiny part of it. But I think Facebook is kind of the classic example of um, an accumulation of like a thousand well thought out little details that all kind of combine to be a great experience, depending on if you like Facebook or not. But um, so, yeah, I mean, the like button is kind of um, one of the most important details on Facebook, obviously. You know, they wanted to get it right. Um, so, this is what they came up with. This is the final design, these cute little animations. So, they're pretty simple, um, you know, visually pretty. I didn't design this, by the way, but they're pretty simple. Um, so imagine in your head, you know, like pick a number. How many, how many weeks or months do you think it took to design these six little animations? Uh, well, the answer is that, you know, um, it took over 30 people at Facebook um, like a year and a half to design this thing. And, um, you know, they went through millions of iterations of all the tiny little details, different, you know, they tried all these different line weights and colors and expressions. And, uh, you know, that's not even counting all the time it took for them to figure out what are the six six reactions that kind of um, let people across cultures express themselves and all that sort of stuff. Um, and when you look at just one of them, you know, this is the wow face. Um, the 13 iterations that it took them to get to the wow face, um, you know, you can kind of see why this kind of detail takes a long time. Um, and the reason that, you know, there were so many iterations of that design um, is because, you know, design is um, fundamentally a path-based process. Probably you all know this already, but... Um, what that means is that, you know, I, I like this diagram because it kind of shows that when you're designing something, you know, you're kind of generating a bunch of options. Um, you follow some of the paths. They kind of open up other paths. And, um, you know, eventually you, you kind of get to the end. So you can kind of map all of these little faces on there. Um, there's, there's this quote, um, that I, another quote that I like from Miro um, talking about his creative process. He's an artist, so he's talking about art. But... Um, you know, the idea that the creative process is this kind of organic process um, that you're not, you know, you, you may be slightly in control of but not entirely in control of and that things kind of take their own course. Um, and I, I, I kind of like to think of um, my job, you know, designing things a lot of the time as being kind of weeding the garden. You know, he's talking about the garden. I, I think a lot of it's about pulling out the bits that don't work so that the bits that um, do work can kind of flourish, if that makes sense. Um, the thing is that, you know, unless you've been involved in a design process like this, um, you know, you kind of don't get to see what was grafted together to get to the end. You know, you kind of only see um, the final design, and you definitely don't see the, the kind of the weeds, you know. Um, 
So, but you know, there's, there's all this work that goes on um, in the background that, that leads up to a, a piece of design like this. Um, all these versions that no one ever sees, and um, you know, it's kind of where a lot of the hard work happens, obviously. And you know, I think that's a real shame um, because I think there's kind of so much you can learn from other people's process. Um, and in general, I think that you know, um, more experienced designers um, are better at two things. They're better at lots of things, probably, but better at two things in particular. Um, generating lots of options, so they're generating the paths, you know, the potential paths at least, and then kind of analysing the strengths and weaknesses of each of them um, to, to know which one to follow, you know, and um, which, where each of those will lead. So those, those are two things that I think you get, you get better at the more that you do them and the, and the more that you're kind of exposed to them as well. Um, so that's, those are the two things I'm going to try and communicate um, in this presentation, you know, for the next half hour or so. And um, I'm going to do it through some work that we've been doing for Coles, so um, at this point, I want to be very clear that I, I don't work for Coles and I'm not representing Coles and nothing that I say should be interpreted as coming from Coles, um, those sorts of things. Um, but yeah, we've been working with Coles for a while. We've been working um, on redesigning their online grocery shopping for about four years. Um, has anyone here bought groceries online? I know, I know you guys have. <laughs> yeah, a couple of people. That's, that's cool. Um, so anyway, so online grocery shopping is, is um, it's a bit like regular e-commerce, but it's a bit different in some ways. But basically the way it works is um, uh, there's three steps here. You kind of order stuff online. Um, then someone at the supermarket actually walks around the shelves and takes the things that you ordered and puts them in a refrigerated truck. Um, and then they're delivered to you in the next day. So they actually deliver them to your kitchen bench. So um, it's a pretty good service. Um, you know, it's, it's a bit more expensive than going to the supermarket yourself, but it's, it's a lot more convenient. And it's particularly good for... Um, People have a hard time kind of getting to the supermarket for whatever reason. So people with like a new baby or um, you know a disability or mobility issues or elderly people, or whatever. Um, so yeah, over the past few years we've designed lots of stuff for Coles. Um, we designed their mobile site, and we've been working um, more recently on a new responsive site for PCs and tablets and everything else. Uh, this is live in selected areas. If you happen to live in Vermont South, then you can check it out. Um, but yeah, it's been a big project and it's taken a long time. 2,467 uh, hours is the number of hours I have spent designing online grocery shopping. Um, at the CIA, they say you can learn a new language in 1,000 hours, so I could have learned 2.467 languages or, you know, learned to play the piano, but no, I have become an expert in designing online grocery shopping instead. But um, because of that, you know, there's lots of stuff I could tell you about. I could tell you about um, the research we did, going to the supermarket and hanging out in the back. This is not actually me. This is just a guy who looks a bit like me, who I work with. <laughs> Um, I could tell you about you know, how we hung out in the trucks with the drivers to kind of learn about um, what was hard for them or the millions of focus groups and workshops we did with users or the endless stats and analytics we trawled through or you know, the models that we built to understand customer behavior or um, the endless kind of visual design iterations and illustrations and things that we did. Um, or really, you know, any of the millions and millions of sections of this website, I could talk about all this stuff. I could probably talk about this project for about 45 hours, let alone 45 minutes, um, because it's been so big. But um, instead, I'm going to talk about something really small, which is um, this, the design of a single button, uh, which is just a really small part of a really big project. Um, so this is the button that we came up with to add stuff to your trolley. Um, uh, it doesn't look like much, uh, but, you know, basically, I mean... Every single dollar that Coles makes online results in someone pressing this button, you know. So, uh, so hopefully, yeah, there are some lessons in its design. And um, 
what I'm going to show you is kind of two things, um, just the millions of options that we went through to get to this button, um, and my, give you my sort of analysis of the strengths and weaknesses of each of those options. So we did about 60 iterations. I'm not going to show you all of them, but um, um, yeah, just a few. And in, in particular, I'm going to focus on uh, these ones, the crosses, you know, the bad ideas and the dead ends and the mistakes and almost, you know, things that didn't work. So that should be fun. Um, um, now, at this point, you're probably thinking, you know, what a big fuss about a little button. You know, couldn't, couldn't you just copy what Amazon did? You know, hasn't this been figured out already? Um, well, that's, that's fair enough, because that's what we thought as well. This was our first design. Um, so I'm going to show you a bunch of these prototypes. They're all pretty ugly, um, so bear that in mind. But yeah, this is where we started a, sim a simple just, you know, stick the ad button next to the price. That's pretty easy. Um, but the thing is that there's this um, one of the fundamental there's a fundamental difference between online grocery shopping and regular e-commerce that means that this doesn't work. Um, so on Amazon or you know something like it, you, you're normally buying um, like just one thing, a, a single product with a quantity of one. Um, like like this book. This is an excellent book actually. I recommend this one. This is the Elements of Typographic Style. Everyone should have this. Um, but um, yeah, with online grocery shopping, a typical cart has over 30 items and lots of multiples of the same thing as well. So, you know, three tins of beans and five bananas or whatever. Um, actually, on Coles, you can order up to 99 of some things. Um, so, yeah, I think it's really important, you know, obviously when you're designing something to understand the problem that you're trying to solve. Um, and I think, although it's tempting to kind of copy other people's solutions sometimes, you know, you have to be really careful that um, they're solving the same problem that you are trying to solve because um, otherwise you can be copying the solution to the wrong problem, if that makes sense. So it turned out that our problem was actually, um, you know, how can we make it really easy for people to choose quantities that are greater than one? Um, so this is our first attempt to solve this problem using this, the notorious plus and minus and add button control, um, which has some pros and cons. So, um, you know, clicking plus and minus is kind of better than typing sometimes, um, unless you do want to order 99 things, in which case you have to press plus 98 times. Um, but it's also, yeah, it's pretty fiddly to press the right amount, you know, get to the right amount. The buttons end up being barely big enough to meet touch guidelines. And, um, you know, what happens if you press... The big thing is, what, if, what happens if you press minus? You know, does it go to zero? Can you add zero? Or do you disable the minus? Or Anyway, that's my, that's my analysis of this design. I'm not going to go into so much detail about all of them, but um, basically this is not, not a good design. Uh, so we switched to a text field entry. Um, you know, you enter the quantity here and you press the add button. That's pretty simple. Um, and we tried heaps of variations of this on, on the grey background and the white background and connected and not connected and all this stuff. And they were all kind of okay, but they all shared the same problem. And to understand the problem with these, um, the text field entry is... Um, yeah, I'll, I'll just um, look at another typical example of e-commerce. So in regular e-commerce, items are sold by quantity. You normally just buy one book or two books or three books. You never really buy 800 grams of books. No one's ever done that, I don't think. But there are lots of... Um, grocery products that you might buy 800 grams of, like these delicious cherries, for example. And um, the thing is that this can, this can actually go really wrong if the interface is not very good for doing this. So um, here's a specific example to explain the kind of weakness of a text field interface for entering quantities. So here are some, here are some mushrooms, nice-looking mushrooms. So if I um, typed the number 5 into that box and hit add to trolley, how many mushrooms would show up at my house, do you think? Have a guess. Five mushrooms, right? That would seem logical. Um, but uh, there's actually this secret piece of information on the page here, the 200 grams. So um, this product is actually sold in increments of 200 grams. So when you type five into that text field, you're not actually getting five mushrooms. 
Uh, no, you're getting five lots of 200 grams of mushrooms. You're getting, that's about 50 mushrooms. That's a lot of mushrooms. And this happens to people, you know, too many mushrooms show up at their house and they, get, and they complain. Um, so, uh, yeah, the, our problem kind of became, you know, how do we communicate um, quantities for all types of items, you know, weighted items, non-weighted items. Um, so, yeah, because the text field doesn't kind of tell the whole story, our first solution was to kind of basically just, you know, have that equation that was on the previous slide, 1 times 180 grams equals 72 cents. So this is kind of nice. It's not very, kind of works, but it's not very poetic, I guess. It's um, a little bit literal. So, you know, then we tried this dynamic version of the same thing. So now when you type in the, in the box here, it actually updates the quantities dynamically, which is a little bit better. Um, but what we kind of realized is there's this kind of implicit assumption behind this design, and that is that um, when I update the quantity, it's updating the price, right? So the relationship is in that direction. Um, so this is definitely one way to think about it, um, but there are, there are other ways to think about it. Um, I think, you know, sometimes um, there's this, there, there will be a big sort of implicit assumption like this um, underneath, you know, a piece of design that you're doing, and it can really limit your thinking, you know. Um, you might not even be aware of it until you consider alternatives. Like, this is an alternative, right? You, you could think of it that the price updates the quantity. You know, I might say, I might have $5 to spend on apples. How many apples can I buy? But actually, you know, an even better way to think about it, it turns out, is that these two things are just completely linked, you know. Um, you can't change the quantity without changing the price, and you can't change the price without changing the quantity. Um, so once we kind of changed our underlying assumption here, you know, we were able to design um, this interface. So here the, um, the price and the quantity are both being chosen simultaneously. It's just a drop list. Um, you know, but it's not one thing changing the other. They're both changing at the same time. Um, and so now you can see that um, if I open this drop list here... Um, uh, you can see you get you get the multiples now. You can see that three loaves of bread is ten dollars twenty. So that's that's kind of useful information. Um, but then we realised you know there was another step we could take here with this design. That's to actually just combine them into the combine the drop list and the button into one thing. It's a drop list button, um, and that makes it really easy to add the default quantity. You can just click on there and it, and it lights up. Uh, so this, yeah, um, as soon as we prototyped this, we, we, um, we realized actually it would be really handy to be able to remove things that you added by mistake, which happens a lot when you're buying groceries. So um, you can see you can add one of these tomato sauces, and then if you open the drop list now, you have this option to remove all. So that's pretty handy. So, you know, that's one of those things that until you prototype it, you, you don't really see these things. Um, and, yeah, this design sort of turned out to work really well for these weighted items like spinach. Here's, Spinach, 200 grams. So you can see, um, you can actually see the real quantity that you're buying, the 200 grams. Um, but also, you know, like if you open the drop list here, you can, um, you can see the multiples. So you can see that 800 grams is 1360. So it's multiplying the quantity and the price. So that's pretty handy. And you know, no maths required. Um, so this design was, you know, starting to feel pretty good. Um, but there was this, this thing we hadn't solved. What if you want to buy six things, you know? You can't do it. Um, so that's important. So we looked at some stats. Um, and yeah, sometimes stats can kind of help you with these things. So um, it turns out that basically most of the time people add pretty small quantities of things. You know, four or less is 97% or so. Um, so we still needed to let people add more, you know, more than four things. Um, but it was okay if it wasn't as easy. So I think, you know, um, the lesson here is that sometimes you can look at stats and it can kind of tell you uh, which use cases you need to optimize for. Um, so we added another option to this drop list, you know, um, so when you open it up, if you want to add up to four, it's just one click. If you want to add five or more, you click on here and it reveals a 
a magical text field, so you can type in that there. Um, up to 99 of things. And that was pretty good. So this, we tested this with users and um, tested pretty well. But the main feedback that people got was that they wanted more feedback. Um, so you know, um, it's kind of important to remember that when you press this button, this can be the difference between um, you know, dinner showing up at your house or not. Um, so um, people wanted to be sure of what was happening here. So we added um, some animated feedback here. When you click on it, you get um, adding one to trolley. And when you change quantities, the feedback tells you how the quantity is changing. So if you change from three to two, it says removing one from trolley. Um, yeah, so for some actions, and this is one of them, you know, this sort of feedback is really important. Um, so, okay, so we had this solution that worked pretty well for picking quantities, but there were still heaps of details we could improve to kind of make this thing better. Um, and so to do that, we started thinking about some of the other kind of things that are unique about online grocery shopping. You know, so I think sometimes it's really useful to come back to what's unique about the problem you're trying to solve in order to kind of get inspiration. Um, and so um, here's another thing that's kind of um, unique about buying groceries. It's, it's habitual. You know? So if you, buy, um, you know, if you buy this book, this great book, um, on Amazon, you pretty much you, know, you buy it once and you read it and, and then you put it on the bookshelf. Um, but things like milk and bread... You know, these are things you buy every week. So in this way, I think um, designing this online grocery stuff is its a lot more like designing a kind of recurring service than it is about e-commerce. Um, you shouldn't buy that bread. You shouldn't buy that type of bread, hopefully, because it's very high GI and it's no good. But anyway, um, uh, yeah, so, so making this fast was, was a really big theme, um, you know, for the whole project, basically. Um, you know, we wanted to make the code fast and the, make the UX fast and, you know, make it fast to complete a shop. So we did a few things. Um, we, we timed how long it takes to do the same, you know, buy the same bunch of groceries in an actual store and compared it to online. That was kind of the baseline. So, um, yeah, establishing a baseline in the real world can, can help with this stuff sometimes. We also kind of gave this project a name and a logo with cool wings and stuff and a little motto. Um, so th these were kind of ways that we tried to focus the whole team on um, making this habitual activity really fast to do. Um, so how can a little detail like a button make it faster to shop? Well, if I buy four apples every week, uh, then it should be really easy for me to do that. And there's, so there's two things that we can do. We can remember that I buy apples every week, and we can remember that I buy four apples every week. Um, so we designed the button um, to default to the last quantity that you entered. Here it is. Um, so that sounds like a pretty small thing. That is a pretty small thing. All of these are very small things. But... Um, um, but what that means is it makes it super fast to, to kind of scroll down a list of products here of things that I bought before and to add them really quickly with a single click. You know, so if I buy my baby food here or my vegetarian bacon rashes, that's, those are good things. Um, the other thing we did to make it faster was we created another version of this button which would add multiple items. So you can see the one at the top of this list here, add all for 5376. Um, and when I click on this, what happens is that... Um, it triggers multiple buttons below it. So that's another way we try to speed things up. Um, and that and various other things, you know, th th those are all pretty small details, but they kind of add up, and, and they added up to um, an 11-minute saving. You know, so it's 11 minutes faster to shop on this new website we designed than the previous one. That's, quite, that's, that's a lot. I mean, that's, you know, 24%. Um, some, something that people are doing every week. So I think there's kind of two lessons with this stuff. Um, the first is just how it's kind of a simple, really simple but well-articulated kind of goal can help focus a team um, on doing the right thing, you know, and all the little tiny decisions that they make. Um, but also kind of how these tiny little details can kind of contribute to a larger goal, you know, in this case, making things fast. 
so, so it was fast, that was good, but um, supporting a routine activity isn't the only thing we needed to do um, because there's something else that's special about online grocery shopping, which is specials. <laughs> See what I did there? Um, so, um, yeah, so in, in most e-commerce, you know, the prices change a little bit, you know, from time to time, but they're, they're relatively static. I mean, you know, Amazon obviously fiddle around with their prices a lot. They don't really want you to know that they're doing that. But, um, but the, with, with grocery shopping, you know, prices change from week to week a lot, and they can also interact in quite complex ways, you know, um, and have a huge effect on what people buy. So if, you know, mints is on special, that might mean someone buys pasta or whatever to go with it, so... Uh, so specials, yeah. So to kind of see how complex specials can become, um, here's an example. This is mangoes. You can buy two mangoes. If you buy one mango, it's $4.98. But if you buy two mangoes or more, they're $3 each. So that seems very simple when you see it in the catalogue. But um, when you turn that into an interface, it can get pretty complicated. So um, this is the old website. Um, so if you zoom in on this, look, there's, we've got buttons and text and text fields and all sorts of things. Where do I look? I don't know. Um, so it turned out that we could... Um, integrate all that stuff, you know, simplify it down by using just a single button, but adding this save statement to the text. I wasn't sure if you'd be able to read that, so that's what it says underneath. Um, so, yeah, it says 2 for $6, save three ninety six. Um, so there are two nice things about um, handling specials this way. The first is that we can um, default to the special price, which is 2 for $6, um, to encourage people to, you know, buy it. It's called upsell in the trade. And you may not think um, that defaulting like this would make a big difference. But, you know, defaults can be really powerful. I'll take a moment now to talk about organ donation. So um, this is, this is just, you know, probably a lot of people have seen this, but this is the classic um, behavioral psychology kind of case study from Dan Arley. Um, and it shows organ donation rates in different European countries. Um, so, you know, it's like if, if, if I die in a car crash, can people have my organs? And the countries on the left here, um, very, very low rates of organ donation consent. Countries on the right, very, very high rates. So this is kind of interesting, right? I mean, wh why is this? You might say maybe it's cultural or something, or maybe it's religion, or, uh, you know, there's lots of potential explanations. But actually it turns out that the reason these two um, groups of countries are so different is just the form that you fill in when you get your driver's license. So um, the countries on the left, the form says, please tick this box if you want to donate your organs, and nobody ticks it. And the countries on the right says, please tick this box if you do not want to donate your organs, and also nobody ticks it. So, you know, that's kind of... I mean, organ donation is um, pretty... It's bigger than buying mangoes or whatever, but it's still... Um, uh, yeah, it just shows how the defaults in an interface can have a big effect on people's behaviour. Anyway, so back, back to the button. So, um, so uh, the other thing is that by integrating the savings amount in the button, we can show people um, how if they buy more stuff, they can save more money. Um, so you don't need to multiply this $3.96 in your head to kind of understand the extra benefits of buying more. So before I was talking about, you know, uh, changing two things simultaneously, quantity and price, updating each other. So now if three things, three things change simultaneously, the quantity, the price, and the savings... Um, you can kind of see here that um, you can see now that if you buy three mangoes, it's only nine dollars, and you save five dollars ninety-four. Or you could buy five mangoes, that's and you save almost ten dollars. It's amazing. So that information is um, only available because of this design. You know, it wouldn't be available otherwise. The other thing that was um, tricky about specials is uh, I won't talk about this one too much, but um, uh, yeah, specials like products can interact with each other in specials. So um, in this case, you can buy any two of these bottles of Pepsi. For $3. Um, so the price of one item affects the price of the other. So, um, so, yeah, so we've got this progress bar up the top here. It says two more to go. And so when I um, choose the first one, it's the normal price. 
as soon as I choose the second one, then the prices all update. Um, so it kind of shows how um, these buttons actually had to interact with each other, you know, affect each other. Anyway, so, um, yeah, so we had a nice way to handle specials. So now we had to build this thing. Now, sometimes in the UX world, there's this handover process, and, um, you know, there's this, a bunch of prototypes. So you zip up, I would zip up all these prototypes, and I would send an email with the title, Good Luck, and I would send it to um, the developers. Um, but obviously, you know, I don't think anybody in here would think that would lead to any good work. So, yeah, I spent months and months hanging out with these guys while they were building it. Um, but the first thing we needed before we built it was a name for this button. Um, it was named the Fat Controller because it's kind of fat and it controls things. kind of a dumb name. I, I didn't name it. Um, but, um, uh, but the reason it needed a name, you know, names are kind of important. I mean, you know, you need to have all these conversations with designers and developers and BAs and... You know, this thing could have, been, could have been called the quantity selection button or something, you know, and then you'd have all these meetings and people would be saying, how's the QSB going, you know, and no one would know what they're talking about. So, anyway, names, names can be important. But um, I have two, two images that summarise the development process for this. Um, this is the first one. This is JT, one of the developers, holding his head in despair, you know. Um, and actually, um, he loved this button so much that we had to institute a swear jar on the project. I've never worked on a project with a swear jar before, so that was good. But as they say, you know, the path to greatness is paved by people saying motherfucker, you know. <laughs> anyway, um, so, so why was this thing so hard to build? Um, why was there so much swearing? Well, apart from having to build an interface that combined a drop list, a button, and a text field, and all that stuff, um, there were two main reasons. The first is that it needed to be responsive. Um, this is a prototype that we built um, to show how the product tiles needed to change as the screen scaled. So um, we're using a pretty typical kind of responsive thing here where columns are being added and removed and stuff um, as it gets smaller. Um, but the thing we're doing in between the columns as well is we're actually scaling, um, scaling the width of the, of the tiles, um, which is also scaling the width of the button. So that means that the button actually had to be responsive itself um, Incidentally, I don't know if you can read this, but we also have a uh, random product name generator here. So you can see banana, flavor, corn, toffee, nacho, cheese, tomato bread. That's a good one. Anyway, um, good fun. So yeah, the button had to change width. And also, um, we were trying to fit a lot of information into this button, a pretty small button. So the first thing we did is we squared off the corners here, which gets you a few extra pixels. Um, but we also kind of came up with this way to kind of progressively add and remove um, elements from within the button. So at the top it says add one for $2.00 and it says one for $2, and the save statement disappears. Um, so I think this, I mean, this had never really occurred to me before this project, that, you know, um, responsive design is often kind of thought of as being about repositioning or removing um, larger elements, but this is sort of showing how something as small as a button can actually be responsive itself. Anyway, the, the, the other reason that it was hard to build this thing is uh, these four letters, numbers, characters, these four characters, which... Um, strike fear into the heart of every web developer. Does anyone know what this means? A11Y, it's accessibility. The 11 is because there are 11 characters in between A and Y. So there you go. But anyway, um, accessibility in our case meant, um, yeah, most, mostly kind of support for blind people and people with low levels of vision, that sort of thing. Um, so there were a few things we needed to fix. Um, the first was we had all these beautiful coloured buttons that represented all these different um, kinds of specials and stuff. Um, which were all, which were cool if your vision was perfect, but if I desaturate this, you know, suddenly you can see that uh, it doesn't work anymore because you can't tell what's selected and what isn't. Um, so I think it's really interesting to desaturate your designs. I would recommend doing that. There's probably a few people sitting here who can't even tell the difference, I would say, because um, stats about colour blindness and things. Um, 
Anyway, so yeah, we, st- we stripped back the buttons, the, the colors and the buttons. So we just had two states, which was basically on and off, you know, non-selected and selected, and desaturate this, it works. And we also did stuff like, obvious stuff like um, getting the contrast right between the text and the background to meet WCAG guidelines and things. Um, but the really hard part of accessibility was making it work for screen readers, um, which is hard enough for like a regular website, but for something this complex um, is really, really hard. Um, um, and yeah, it wasn't. I guess it, it wasn't just about designing how this button looked. It was also designing how it sounds. You know, there's like a huge amount of there's a huge amount of work done on this by people who are not me. Some of whom are here today. Um, so I, I don't want to take any credit for this, but um, um, or I'd really have time to do it justice. But here's a little taste. So this is what uh, this this is how this button sounds to someone who's using a screen reader. You can close your eyes if you want the full experience here. Add one Coles Fresh Bananas for $0.29 to the trolley button. Updating. Product oh. added to the trolley. Choose a different quantity for Coles Fresh Bananas button. Imagine if this is what the Remove this like. product from trolley button. Already in trolley one for $0.29 button. Change quantity to two for $0.58 button. Updating. Anyway, I'll speak the robot voice. But, um, yeah, I mean, this design has been tested with lots and lots of people um, who can't see it. And, um, you know, um, brand-new users who'd never sort of seen the website before were able to complete a shop in, like, 30 minutes, 30, 40 minutes, which I think is pretty amazing. Um, anyway, um, so there you have it. This is the final design. And um, uh, some of the 60 or so iterations that it took to, to get here. There you go. Um, so... Yeah, I mean, the the next obvious question is, was it was it worth it? Was all this effort and all mucking around and all these iterations worth it? You know, do all those details really matter at all? Well, to answer that, um, I think it's interesting to look at how some other people have solved the same design problem. Um, so this is um, Tesco. Um, Tesco, probably the biggest online grocery store in the world. Um, about 50% of the people in the UK, um, Tesco's in the UK, about 50% of people in the UK use online grocery shopping at some point. About 1 in 10 only use, um, you know, only shop for groceries online, which is like way, way more than Australia. So um, that's, that's a great market for comparison, I think. This is the old Coles website before we redesigned it. Um, and this is the third example here. This is uh, Woolworths. Uh, so generally, my philosophy is not to look at um, how other people have designed things before you've done it yourself, but I think it can be really interesting um, afterwards once you've kind of, once you understand the problem yourself. So what do all these things have in common? Well, um, they're all basically the same, you know, they've all basically got the same um, solution to the problem, which is the plus and minus and the text field and the add button, um, which interestingly, you know, we actually came up with this too, right? You may remember this, that I showed this before, um, right back at the beginning of the presentation. Um, the difference is, you know, that we came up with about 56 versions after that, um, so, you know, we had this really supportive client and Coles who kind of trusted us to kind of keep going, I guess, and, and um, find the right solution. And, um, yeah, they gave us kind of the time and the resources and the trust to do it. And when I look back at some of these awful designs, I'm, I'm kind of amazed they did that. Um, but, that, yeah, it's a really special thing to have in a client relationship, I think. But, anyway, the, the question is, you know, could we, just have, could we just have stopped here? Like, would it have made any difference at all? Um, well... So, yeah, to answer that, I'm going to compare our design to these ones because I think each of these comparisons is kind of interesting in different ways. So let's start with Tesco, side-by-side comparison of functionality. Sorry, I hope this isn't too boring. Um, So our design is on the left and Tesco is on the right. Um, So let's try adding a single product. Um, So with our design, you just click on the button and it lights up green. And with Tesco, 
click on the add button, it lights up green as well. So that, I'm going to call that a dead heat. That's, I think that's pretty even. Um, so what if you want to add another two? So with our design here, you can open the drop list and change it to three, and you get some nice animated feedback about what's happened. Uh, with the plus and minus design on the right here, so uh, you press the plus button a couple of times to get to three. Um, so this is like a two-step process, right? Because I'm not done. I haven't actually updated anything yet. And that's why Tesco have got this line of text at the bottom. Click add to update basket. So I think that's a bit of a red flag that you have to tell people to click the next button. You know, they've obviously had problems with that. But anyway, let's do it. So um, now I click the add button. But what's happened? Oh, look now. I've got four in my basket. What happened? So that's because this interface is sort of fundamentally ambiguous. And what's happened is the one that I added the first time is still there. Now I've added three more. Um, so that's... Well, that's, I'm glad you asked. So if, you, um, <laughs> uh, if you've made a mistake, you, you, oh, you, can't, oh, you can't click on there. No, it doesn't work. Can't do it. So um, that's, I think that's, that, seems like a, um, that seems like a little thing. But you know, generally, people, um, they change their minds a lot with online grocery shopping, and they add and remove things. So you know, it's kind of a big deal. Um, OK, so what about special? So here's a two for four special, two for $4, two for four pounds over here. Um, so uh, with our design, you just click on the button here, and um, you're done. And with Tesco, the, only, the real difference here is the default. The, the default is the non-special quantity. So you have to actually change the quantity and then hit the Add button to get the special. So yeah, as, you know, as I was saying about defaults before. And the other difference is that um, when you, with our design, you know, as I said, you can see the uh, multiplied savings amounts. You can see if you buy four avocados, you save $2. So that's pretty good. Um, but what about something like this? This is adding my regular four apples that I always buy. Um, so here we're defaulting to the, um, you know, the, my regular quantity. With the plus and minus thing, it's um, you've got to press the button three times and hit the add button, which you know that, that's a pretty small difference, I guess. But if you imagine a hundred, you know, you've got a hundred products you normally buy, and you want to, um, you got to, that's a lot of extra clicks by the time you get through all those. So those are a few ways that I think, you know, I believe it's a kind of a superior design to the kind of conventional one, I guess, the, the, you know, the international benchmark, if you like. Um, but those are all pretty small things, right? I mean, the next logical question is, do, do those little things kind of have any measurable difference and make any measurable difference? Well, luckily, you can answer that question because um, we can compare it to the old Coles website. So um, again, this is the same exact interface, the up and down arrows here and the add button. So, you know, did the new design perform better than this one? Of course it did, you know, otherwise why would I have this slide? But, um, uh, but yeah, it was, it's, you know, this is, these are comparing the, uh, the beta website um, to the previous website, and it's, you know, it's faster and it's more usable and people are more likely to um, recommend it to their friends and all those sorts of things. So that's, yeah, so that was good. Uh, it's performing better. Um, but, you know, obviously the real test is kind of how you perform compared to your competitors. So... Um, uh, yeah, so here's the Woolworths design. Again, same design, the plus and minus and the add button. Um, now, obviously, I have no idea what... They, they redesigned this in 2015. I have no idea what effect it had on their business. I don't work for Woolworths. But, um, but you can look at some proxy measurements. So here is the um, post they made on Facebook announcing their new site last year. Um, and if you look at responses to this post, um, I actually ran a bit of sentiment analysis on them. Um, so, you know, pretty negative comments from the customers, I guess. Sentiment analysis is when you take um, you know, like a piece of text and using natural language processing give it a positivity or negativity score. So that most of the comments were pretty negative there. Um, and that led to articles like this, you know. Um, and actually, we, we ran user testing on the Woolworth site when it went live 
Uh, that's, a, that's a tip. You should always use a test your competitors. You can learn a lot of things. So, yeah, we saw a pretty similar response, I guess. The, the thing that I found interesting about this reaction is, you know, what these comments were kind of talking about. I mean, were they talking about the big strategic goals of the project or something like that? No, they were talking about, why can't I add one kg of chicken, you know? This tiny little detail. And um, you might think, you know, how can this tiny detail affect people's perception and experience so much. Of course they don't, you know, by itself it can't I mean it's you know, but multiplied by a thousand for all the other little details that have been designed with the same kind of attention or lack of attention, it can have a big effect, I think. So you know, as as Mies would say, um, all those little details add up and they I think they can be the difference between kind of success and failure. So um, uh, yeah, I encourage you to to take the time to kind of get the details right on your next piece of design. Thank you very much. Thank you. We have uh, like a few minutes for questions. Hi. Uh, first of all, I wish there was no one from Woolies here that was steal your button. Um, secondly, since you've given us a very detailed presentation, I would like to ask you a detailed question too. Um, you mentioned that you squared off the button for width efficiency. Did you do any testing on that? And what was it? Sorry, what's that? Did you do any A/B testing or any you know testing on? Oh no, it's just a visual thing. I mean, yeah, it's a pretty small detail, really, but um, it's just about you know with a circle, you've got to have a certain amount of uh, yeah, negative space there, you know. Circle. Are you talking about circular buttons? Normally, people would know that that's a button and right, it. right. So that's why. Yeah, I yeah. Asked. We did a bunch of stuff with. Um, I didn't show it, but we did a bunch of stuff by. Um, I guess the way we're trying to communicate that it was a button was with depth. So we we, we actually, um, you know, flat design's all trendy and everything. So we we, we did, um, in visual design, flatten it out completely at one point and have no depth, no sort of bevel on the button. And we kind of played around with that quite a bit. Um, and, yeah, I think, um, um, yeah, one of the, that's sort of one of the weaknesses of flat design is that you lose some of that, um, the affordance of that it's a button, you know. So, yeah, it was really about depth that we were trying to use to communicate that it was a button. That makes sense. Yeah. Thanks, Ollie. Um, that's this has already been my favourite talk of the oh, uh, conference so far. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, my question was: was there was there a moment in the project where you had to convince the client you needed to invest so much more time into a single button, or did did they come to you with that request, or how, how did that part of it work? The selling um, end of it. Yeah. Well, I think um, it was it was kind of a it was a slightly unusual project in a way because. Um, it wasn't. Um, we spent we spent something like a year on just design before anyone was even talking about when it was going to be built or how it was going to be built. You know, so we kind of had heaps of time to, uh, yeah, explore things, muck around. You know, um, and a lot of I think a lot of the work that we did was kind of um, sort of generated, proposed by us, if you know what I mean. So it was yeah, I think it was it was a lot less like there, there just wasn't the kind of um, typical deadline pressure. You know. I think it was set up in a really good way in that way, yeah. Um, it's kind of on the same line. I guess the biggest challenge for UX is trying to justify investment in UX. Um, so 2,400 hours is a lot of time, and 80% 80, 80 of people only have one product in their basket, according to your stats. So was it worth the investment? Have they seen an increase in conversion? Uh, yeah, yeah I, I was going to talk about that. I'm actually not allowed to talk about um, any of the kind of numbers in that sense, you know, yeah. Um, but I think it was, you know, so... <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, don't I think know. the answer probably answer. is, if, if there wasn't, maybe they wouldn't have worked with you for so long. 
Maybe that's true. Mm. Maybe that's true. Maybe. I don't know that for sure, even though I work with them too. <laughs> all right, thank you very much for all that. Cool, thanks. We hope you enjoyed this presentation from UX Australia 2016. For more presentations from this and other conferences, please visit uxaustralia.com.au.